welcome to Small Steps Living, the The podcast. podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Cordaff, bringing you inspiring stories to help you transform your life one small step at a time. Here at Small Steps Living, we're keeping it real. Kick back and And enjoy enjoy the show. show. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the podcast. Today, a super special treat for you. Prepare to have your minds blown. I have been lucky enough to get to know Joe Atkinson over the last, what, two years, 18 months? I don't know how long it's been. And she was the ama- she was an amazing resource for um, small steppers in the Small Steps to Whole Foods course. But now she's a fully qualified, bona fide nutritional medicine practitioner. That sounds fancy, and it is. She's worked her ass off for that qualification. (laughs) And today we are going to be talking all things kids' food sensitivities and maybe allergies and stuff. It's going to be a big conversation. Jo, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for coming because this information, I tell you, I get asked all the time, um, I guess because people come to the small steps world, they often come because they have issues with their children. Um, They've just found out that their kid's intolerant to something or maybe they're intolerant to something or they're wondering why they're having meltdowns or this and that and something kind of might have gone off that food has a part to play in this. But then it just feels like there's this huge gap in our knowledge of how food is actually affecting children. Like we've gone so far down the path of what is normal to eat and now our kids' bodies are confused, maybe our pregnant bodies are confused. I mean, what is going on with kids and their their gut health and and their food sensitivities. I'm just going to ask you like the biggest question from the start. <laughs> Sorry. No, that's fine. Um, I think there's a range of um, things going on. So I think um, there's well, we're learning more and more about gut health and the importance of gut health and our different microbes that live in our gut and stuff all the time. Um, but I think there's a lot of reasons for the massive increase in food intolerances and allergies. Um, that we see now, um, part of which is due to the mum's gut health. So when um, when we're carrying a baby, the baby can um, inherit some of the mum's gut bacteria. So it doesn't just happen at birth, it can happen in utero as well. So if mum's diet um, up until the point of pregnancy and into pregnancy hasn't been great or she's had multiple courses of antibiotics or she's been unwell, then the baby is going to inherit her um, gut bacteria. So sometimes if that's not um, a very diverse sort of range of gut bacteria, then the baby's going to inherit that as well. So that's one reason. Um, so health of the mum is so, so important before pregnancy. Um, secondly, a lot of our babies are being born by caesarean. So then when they are being born, they're not getting that um, sort of inoculation straight away from the gut bacteria as they're being born, as they would if they were born vaginally. Um, so they're lacking that diversity and that sort of amount of gut bacteria from birth. Um, so that's another huge issue. Um, the other issue, so so in that sense, 
our babies are being born already sort of at a um, behind the eight ball, I guess. So their immune systems are underdeveloped. Their gut bacteria is not very um, well developed either, so that they're already struggling to deal with the outside world and all that it throws at them. Um, and then you put on top of that the amount of antibiotics that kids get, usually before the age of two. Most kids have had at least one or two courses of antibiotics for ear infections or tonsillitis, and as you know, antibiotics wipe out all the bacteria, not just the, the um, bad ones. They wipe out the good ones as well. And without doing anything to put that the good bacteria back in, that never recovers. Um, and we now know that kids have had antibiotics before the age of two, then they are at a much higher risk of developing things like allergies, food allergies and asthma. Um, and then the third thing, fourth thing, I don't know what number I was up to, but another thing is um, our environment. So our environment is far more, um, oh, I don't really want to say toxic, but it, it is. It's There are more chemicals in the now um, food sources. There's more chemicals floating around in our air, our water. Um, we're being bombarded from we sort of take our first breath. We're being bombarded with all these different chemicals and toxins. And for a baby or a child with a, with a um underdeveloped immune system that's a lot to deal with um yeah so there's i think that our environment our world is changing so quickly and and we have our bodies haven't caught up to be able to adapt to that so i think that that's a, probably the main reason that we're seeing um so many of these things there's, there's a whole bunch of other factors that would come into it but they're the ones that i look at because as a nutritionist that's where i kind of start and you know as you were going through that um, that list, <laughs> I was thinking about my my son, and I'm like, "Yep." So, I mean, I, I had pretty standard diet heading into pregnancy. Got pretty addicted to McChickens in my first trimester, uh, and then and then he was a transverse lie baby, and I had a cesarean, and then he got. Because, you know, I wanted something fun to do with him. I took him to swimming lessons in winter as soon as I could. And he got these ear infections. So he had two courses of antibiotics before he was one. And I didn't know anything about anything. And he now has asthma, viral asthma, and all these sorts of things. But what I'm saying this because I think I wonder how many women, how many mums, as we were listening to that, were going, shit, uh, <laughs> oh, my gosh. And I'm even thinking of myself. And, you know, when I was when I was um, little, I mean, you know, a lot of that stuff probably wouldn't have been the same. But still, you know, we've grown up in this world of, you know, lathering ourselves with cosmetics and all sorts of things and uh and we just, we've had no idea. But I guess the question is, is that this whole gut health, I wanted to just go back and make sure that people understood when we're talking about gut health, what that actually means, because it is thrown around a lot. And for the people who are kind of in the, in the world of food and, and health, um, you it's very difficult now not to come across gut health, its importance um, in, to, in overall health. But there might be some people who are still like, what is she talking about? So could yeah. you just explain super quickly why it's so important and what it means? I know, super quick, I'll, big I'll ups. Try to do it. 
super quickly because, you know, this is my favourite thing to talk about. Um, so when I'm talking about gut health, I'm talking about three different things. I'm talking about um, our stomach because that's where our food gets broken down. So um, so we need to have, a you know, adequate stomach acid in there and getting enzymes in there to help break down our food because if we can't do that, we can't absorb the nutrients out of our food. Um, which happens in the small intestine. The second thing I'm talking about is the lining of our gut. So that's the mucous membranes that line our gut um, from our mouth to the absolute end. Um, and that's really important because that acts as a protective barrier from things getting through, and that can be viruses and pathogens and um, food that hasn't been broken down properly, food proteins. And then the third thing I'm talking about is our microbiome. So that is the bacteria um, and viruses, fungi, and um, parasites, and all those things that live in our mostly in our large intestine um, that have all sorts of roles in the body. Um, oh, I can't even go into that because that will be that's a whole other podcast. But um, that have a whole range of different roles that they have to do in that small intestine to keep us healthy and functioning and doing the things that we need to do. So this, when I'm talking about gut health, I'm talking about those three things. And um, so, what are the what would be the main things then that would destroy our like good gut health yeah um so for kids the main things are things like antibiotics so like i said already antibiotics kill our um, bacteria because that's what they're there for and they're necessary sometimes um, but using the overuse of antibiotics um, can damage that other things that can damage it are things like antibacterial products so if you're thinking um, if you're using like an antibacterial hand wash or Cleaning products on, say, the tray, the table, the tray of your high chair to clean it, and then you're putting food on that, and the baby's ingesting those things. Again, they're antibacterial; they're there to kill bacteria. If we're ingesting those, we're we're damaging the bacteria in our gut. Um, medications, so asthma puffers and um, anti-inflammatory type medications can damage the lining of the gut and also have an Im- impact on um, our gut bacteria our gut microbiota but not to say not to use those obviously we have to use them but um they they do have an impact on the gut um and also um poor diet so if you're not getting the right amount of nutrients or the right sorts of nutrients in the diet then that can affect say your levels of of um stomach acid so then you're not able to produce enough stomach acid which means you can't break um our food down and one of the big things that I see in kids, and this happened to my son as well, because when I had him, you know, I was eating, I had an appalling diet, um, and then he had reflux, so he was on reflux medication, and that is a, um, it's called a proton pump inhibitor, and that actually stops the production of stomach acid so that they don't vomit it up. So if you think, and he was on that until he was 18 months old. So if you think about a kid that, you know, doctors give that out really quickly, they're reducing the amount of stomach acid they have, They've got no chance of, of breaking down their food and then that just leads to a whole other range of problems. But I see kids on them all the time. And they're supposed to be a short-term solution. They're supposed to be no more than, I think, um, four to six weeks on those. And he was on for a year and a half. I just, I can hear people going, <gasps> while, they're, while they're listening. So can you please... Talk a little bit more about your story so people can also feel hopeful sometimes instead of overwhelmed about how, like, 
what change and what improving and focusing on gut health can actually do to the health overall of a family? Yeah, sure. Um, so my story, I, I, <laughs> I would love to say I think that I have a really healthy story and I've always been healthy and came from this healthy family, but that is totally as, as bad as far from the truth as possible. Um, but then if I didn't do what I did, then I wouldn't be where I am. So, you know, that's how it is. But um, so basically I grew up on a farm. My mum was an amazing cook, um, but she was also very, very busy. So she never taught us how to cook. Um, I've got three sisters and we sort of grew up on um, – when we were little, we grew up eating very wholesome, homemade kind of food. Um, but then we moved into town off the farm. My mum was working full time. We ate whatever – packet food we could get our hands on because we hadn't had it before. Um, as a teenager, I remember driving, uh, driving, riding home from school with my little sister and we'd stop at this little pink shop and just buy lollies and, oh, just the amount of rubbish we ate was appalling. Um, and that sort of carried through. So I never learned how to cook. All my cooking came from a packet. So when I started having my kids, um, I, I just didn't even think about it. And I never ever associated food I didn't think of food as nutrients at all I was obsessed with my weight I've been dieting since I was about 14 um, and my whole family has weight problems so I was constantly on a diet constantly eating packet foods that were low fat and all that kind of stuff so when I had my kids I just kind of kept doing the same thing um, but by the time I had my first child um, she's nearly 17 now I was very overweight. I was depressed. I had postnatal depression. I had anxiety. I was medicated for that. Um, I was on anti-inflammatory medications because I had chronic back issues. I I was pretty, I was a mess basically. Um, but I just thought that was normal. So I just kept going with that. My whole life was for years and years and years just going on this cycle of dieting and taking medications and not even thinking about the food I was putting in my mouth other than is this going to help me lose weight. Um, and when I had my son, who's now 10, um, again, my diet was horrific. I think I lived on sugar. Um, and while the kids never really had any sort of massive health issues, there was lots of little things. There was lots of little things that when I look back now, were really affecting our lives. So my daughter Jasmine had um, non-allergic rhinitis. So she just seemed to be allergic to everything. She just seemed to react to everything. She was always sniffing, red eyes, puffy. From the minute she'd wake up, she'd start sneezing. Um, she couldn't, it was like she had to miss school a lot of days because her eyes were so puffy and red. She was on antihistamines every day and she was, that was between the age of, nine and 11. So for two years, she was on daily antihistamines because that's all the doctor could give us. We had allergy testing. She wasn't allergic to anything. So stuff like that, which we just kind of went, oh, okay, well, that's kind of, that's just her thing. Um, we had um, not so much behavioral issues. Well, there was definitely tantrums, but um, my son and Jasmine as well, both um, really struggled with anxiety. Um, Nicholas to the point where he just, he really struggled to go to school. Um, and Chloe, my oldest, was really struggling to concentrate. She she kind of got labelled like they wanted to have her tested for ADHD and I kept refusing to do it, but she just couldn't sit still and she's really, really smart, but she couldn't focus on anything. 
and she was really struggling to um, learn more um, in the way that school needed her to learn. So it was stuff sort of like that and then, you know, obviously me with my weight and anxiety. So when I say nothing major, I guess they're pretty major things. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying there was no sort of real breakthrough thing. Um, I moved, we, we were living in Queensland at the time, we moved back to Perth and I had the opportunity to have a fresh start in terms of food. My husband picked up the book one day at my sister's house, um, Sweet Poison by David Gillespie, and we started reading that. He said, you have to read this. Um, and this was in 2011. I said, all right. So I started reading it and I just got so angry. I got so angry that all the foods that, that we'd been eating were so full of sugar and I was so addicted to sugar. Like I, I feel sick now when I think about how much sugar I ate. I'm amazed I didn't have gestational diabetes with Nick. Um, but, yeah, I just got really mad. So we decided that we were going to cut out sugar and we really strictly cut out sugar. Um, which was really challenging because everything has sugar in it. And then once I started looking at sugar, I started looking at food additives and thinking, what the hell is this in our food? How is this allowed to happen? Um, so many of the mums that I speak to say that they feel the same way, I think. You're looking at a packet on the supermarket shelf thinking it, it would be safe. Like they wouldn't let us eat it if it wasn't safe, surely. And that's what I was so I think I was just very naive and very ignorant and just trusted that they the the authorities knew what they were doing um so anyway we started a new pantry from scratch and I had to learn how to cook from scratch um and once we started to come off these sorts of foods I started to notice really major changes in the kids so Jasmine's sniffing went away but literally overnight it was gone um Chloe's reading age went from 11 to 15 in testing that she'd had done at school. So she was at an adult reading level now at, at age 11. Um, Nicholas slept. Oh, my goodness, he's a terrible sleeper, has always been a terrible sleeper, but he started sleeping through the night. He was four at the time. Um, and he stopped having these massive meltdowns that he was having and um he just started oh he was always quite sick actually he would always get colds and tummy bugs and headaches and he always had something going on with him and that just sort of went away so I was like that's amazing and then um I came off antidepressants and I stopped I lost 20 kilos uh without even thinking about it (laughs) I just started eating proper food and it went away um I could sleep through the night I stopped taking um, pills, anti-inflammatories for my back, and I just was, it was amazing. It was just, and I was like, this is just the power of eating actual proper food that doesn't come out of a packet, and then I thought, I need, people need to know this, everyone needs to know this, um, and I thought, I can't really go on, I did preach early on, absolutely, my family will attest to that, I was quite annoying about this, because I just thought everyone has to know this, but then I thought, no, if I want to really help people, I need to stop preaching and start educating and supporting. And I thought for me, the way to do that was to go and get a degree in nutritional medicine. So that's what I did. I just, it's just the most amazing story. It just, (laughs) but also that you had the guts to really do it and that you followed through. But then I guess maybe it was just addictive to see the changes in your family and to feel the changes in yourself. Like there is just actually no better crack than 
<laughs> than your family thriving or 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 the feeling that you have like I know when I'm eating badly or I'm just not like I'm having a bit too much sugar or something I'll just be like no oh, I know I don't have to have this brain fog I know I don't have to have it and I know I don't have to feel this dip at you know 3 p.m so just do the things Lisa just do the things and you'll feel great. And then it's it's like we have this ability to control how our bodies are in in the world. And when, but tell me because you've 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 decided to specialize in which area? Children's health is my absolute passion. So kids, and this fascinates, and because I guess um, through um, my work and, as you know, in small steps communities, a lot of the women are coming in to learn how to cook and are learning how to go back to basic food because of their children, because yeah. some light bulb has just gone off. But then we don't necessarily have the skills to do it and and it can all feel a little bit overwhelming. But I would love to know, as a practitioner now, what are you seeing when people present to you? What are they seeking out at the moment? What are the common issues that people are having with their kids? Yeah, um, so probably the main ones that I see are eczema is huge. Um, every second kid seems to have eczema. That's technically one in four children in Australia has eczema. Um, so I see a lot of eczema. I see a lot of sleeping problems. Um, behaviour is a huge one. I have a lot of parents coming to me saying my kid just tantrums all the time. Um, so I, I see kids from um, like baby birth, newborns to teenagers. Um, so in the, so the different things tend to come out at different ages. So the newborn babies, it's you know breastfeeding and mum's diet while she's breastfeeding. Um, things like reflux and colic sleep problems, um, primary school sort of or toddler age kids going up there. We see a lot of eczema, a lot of recurring infections, a lot of tonsillitis, ear infections where they've had a heap of antibiotics, um, but they just keep getting sick over and over again. I see a lot of that. Um, obviously, once they start school, it's when the teachers start going, hey, your kid can't sit still or there's behavioural issues or they have social issues because they're not making friends very well. And then obviously lunchbox issues start at that age as well because they're comparing their lunchbox to other kids and I see a lot of mums going, I don't know what to put in my kids' lunchbox. Um, they're the main ones. And then as they get older, I see lots of anxiety. And in teenagers, skin problems, especially girls, you know, want to have nice, well, all kids want to have nice skin, but a lot of girls that have um, skin problems and also girls with their period, getting heavy periods. Um, yeah, so that's the, they're the areas. Oh, and autoimmune diseases I see a lot of as well. So how do they know to come to a nutritional medicine practitioner? Because this is what I, you know, I feel like our son has probably a little bit of anxiety issues and I spoke to the GP about it and she um, has recommended to go and see a psychologist. And absolutely no talk of the food he eats, um, whether he's been on courses of antibiotics, like nothing, gut health not even on the radar. And whereas because I'm like, but is it something he's reacting to? Is it? And um, they just said that she can't even have the conversation with me. So how do people find you? Like what do parents do if they're noticing? Because I'm sure there's going to be some parents listening going, well, yeah, I'm dealing with tantrums from daytime to nighttime or my kids don't sleep. What are you saying? It's got something to do with the food they eat. 
So how how do people make the link from, and I, I guess a lot of people wouldn't, to seek out, uh, like to know that it's to do with this? Yeah, I think um, for me particularly with being um, a nutritional medicine practitioner as opposed to a naturopath, a lot of people might think naturopath for natural medicine or to do with food or herbs and things like that. Um, I learned um, naturopathic principles in my education. I went to a natural health college to do my um, degree. So my nutrition background is naturopathic-based. I don't do herbs, um, but I focus on food as medicine. But I think I think a lot of the misconception comes when people think of nutritionists, they probably think more around dietitian and they think about diet. This is how I used to think. I would only think about that if I needed to lose weight. Um, not so much any of the other things that I've just talked about. <laughs> Nothing that I sort of spend my time doing. Gut health, I don't even know what that was six years ago. Um, so I think that it's confu- – I think more people are beginning to know it now because there's, you know, with the internet, there's more information out there. But every practitioner works slightly differently and every practitioner has different modalities that they use within their practice as well. So it's about finding the right person for you. I think for me it's about educating people, educating mums on what I do and how I can help um, them and help their kids so that they know when they've got these problems when they come up, they go, oh, that's what I need to do. I need to look at their food. And I think there's a lot more information now around um, food and how food's affecting our kids and starting to work that out. But, I mean, you see it all the time in these different groups and chat uh, what are the chat groups? They're not chat groups. Facebook groups. groups. Yeah. Um, now where people will put pictures up going, you know, my kid's got this or my kid has that, and then you get like all these millions of responses and people look to those groups for advice, um, but they're getting advice from other mums. So rather than saying go and see a medical practitioner or go and see a um, nutritionist or whatever, they say you should try this, and I think that that's where some mums go down. I mean, I see a lot of mums who have gone down those tracks and then come to me because either they made it worse or it's not working. So we have to get to the root cause of these things. Um, now, I've completely gone off track and forgot <laughs> what the original question was. Well, it was how do people, because like our first port of call, like say, okay, let's use the example of eczema. So you would go to your GP and then you would be given a cream probably like a steroid cream and then and then that's it and then hopefully the steroid cream gets it under control and uh you know i've heard of people who um are having chlorine baths for their popping their kids in chlorine baths to manage it and but how how where, where is the point at which they start looking for more information or they make that connection? Because I think it's so hard. If you're not in those Facebook groups, if you're not into food, then how are you going to get? Like, because from your experience, what is eczema caused by? Um, it's a, well, it's actually classed as an autoimmune disease now. So it's caused by an, uh, an overreaction of the immune system, um, which then attacks our skin. So usually it is triggered by food, can be triggered by um, viruses and things like that as well, but generally it's food and food can help, can make it flare as well. So certain foods can make it flare. Um, but, yeah, it's an autoimmune condition, so it's to do with your immune system. So if you don't have a healthy immune system, 
um, then this is where that can um, it can manifest as eczema. And and you know gut health, like seventy percent of our immune cells are in our gut or something. Isn't is yeah. that the right number? Yeah. So well, seventy and ninety, depending on where you read. But yeah, a lot, a lot is in there. <laughs> a lot, a lot relies on us having like the bacteria doing all its things the stomach acid doing all its things so if someone is told like how would you know what food your child is reacting to um okay so there's a lot of different things that you can do and a lot of um I see a lot of parents who have had different types of testing so we'll have testing by um sort of kinesiology or hair testing or um blood testing done um but the, still the gold standard for testing for um, food intolerances is an elimination diet, and it's the cheapest as well because the food, um, the testing, the hair mineral, uh, the hair testing and the um, other IgG testing can be up to $700. So it's quite expensive. Um, but still, and I use, I don't do any of that testing. I do um, for intolerances, I do elimination diet and food and symptom journal. Yes, right, okay. But I'm like, uh, I'd prefer the test. I'll save up some coin and just do the test. <laughs> but that's not even 100% accurate really, is it? Like, No, that, yeah, it's a bit, um, it, I think they can miss a lot of things. There's not um, a lot uh, and I, there's not a lot of evidence to say that they are very accurate either, the different types of testing. Um, actually, I don't think there's any evidence to say that they are accurate, um, but I know a lot of practitioners that use them and they're pretty, you know, they can get some good results from them. Um, I haven't ventured down into that because I'm pretty much a back-to-basics kind of person generally, um, and as a practitioner, I like to work out what foods are affecting. I, I think the biggest problem for me with the different tests is that I see a lot of parents that come in and say, my chiropractor told me that my kid can't have strawberries, oranges, this grain, dairy, all these different things. So they just take them off all those foods and then the more foods they take away, the less food the kids can tolerate. So they end up on this really um, limited diet of, you know, white rice and pumpkin or something. But then they, <laughs> then that leads into nutrient deficiencies and, um you know, all these other issues and then can flare other symptoms up as well because then when they do try and eat other foods, they're reacting to these foods. So that's one of the biggest reasons or for me, that's one of my solid reasons for doing elimination tests because you can't, once you work out what foods are affecting your child, you don't just take them off them. An elimination diet or working out what their sensitivities are is part of the process. The process is to work out what they're reacting to work on fixing that so that they stop reacting to it and then reintroduce it, not in the case of an allergy, of course, you'd never do that, um, but with a food intolerance, working out how they can then tolerate that food again because the aim of, for me, the aim is to always get their children back to eating a wide variety of foods and, and as normal, in inverted commas, diet as possible. Yeah. Um, and is it is it onerous? Yeah, you know, is it because I because here's the thing, 
I I thought all of that stuff was so super easy when my kids were toddlers and they didn't have a choice. I just, they just would eat what I had for them. And now my kid is in grade one. He's suddenly super interested in packets and, you know, it's like he's just turned into this other human um, and has definite opinions about certain things and they're going to parties all the time and it's everywhere. I can't even, you know, so removing those foods um, feels challenging. Do uh, mums just at their wits end when they come to you and they're ready to try anything or do you feel that there's resistance to the idea of, of really drilling down and doing the work? Um, my job is to educate mums um, and to support them through this process. So I would always start with why. Um, rather than just say, yep, yeah, you need to go and do an elimination diet and you need to take out gluten, dairy, nuts and seeds and eggs and pretty much everything that your kid eats <laughs> and don't feed them that and, and feed them bone broth and you know, all these sorts of things. And I'm never going to have any clients. Um, but it's, not, <laughs> <laughs> it's not realistic. Um, so I always start with why and the why is and this is part of my food and symptom journal process it's not just a, a journal to write things in it actually has I ask the mums to fill it out and fill out what the problems are that they're seeing in their kids and what they want their kids to life to be like so that they can really focus on so say their child has um, eczema and it's keeping them up at night they're scratching until they bleed they're getting constant staph infections because they've got open wounds on their skin. Um, it's affecting their confidence. It's making them anxious. They don't want that for their child. But sometimes when you go, you're now faced with an elimination diet and go, that's too hard. But it's much harder having a child who's suffering. Uh, so if they look at, if you go down into why they really want to do that and you look at, you want your child to have um, healthy skin, healthy self-confidence, um, but you want them to be able to not have antibiotics on, all the time. You want them not to have wet bandages having, to, you know, to, so that they can sleep at night. You don't want to be at the doctor all the time. Um, if you look at that, that makes the decision a lot easier to go, right, we're going to spend six weeks doing an elimination and reintroduction diet to work out what's causing this problem in the first place. Um, I also recommend to do it like in a school holidays if you've got kids at school is trying to do it in their lunchbox is a nightmare um, and obviously a lot of planning beforehand. But that's where I help. I give a lot of resources to mum so that they know what to cook, they know what to pre prepare, get themselves mentally prepared for what's going to happen because, you know, there is tears usually by the mum. <laughs> um, there's tantrums because the kids want to eat that. So it's just about preparing both them and their child for what's about to happen. But it's in the big scheme of things, it's such a short period of time for the rest of their lives. It's totally worth it. Can I just ask, what do you, do you come across people, I've got people in my life who are like, it's not all about food. Um, <laughs> you know, sometimes it's, it can be something totally different. And cause when I'll be like, what you gave them a, a, a bubble o bill and a crunchy ice cream. Oh, I'm so glad they had a fun day with you. What? <laughs> <laughs> Thinking I'm just going to have to deal with that later. And they're like, oh, look, if they, if they're, it's just, it'll just be because they're, they're tired or they've been a bit hyped up and excited. Like, it's not always about, like, we ate that stuff when we were little. 
And it's so hard to have that conversation with people. What do you, do you come across that? And what do you sort of think about it? <laughs> That's my whole life. Um, <laughs> totally. Um, okay. So I had a really good chat one day with a friend of mine who is a physiotherapist and she focuses on helping kids to breathe properly. So kids with anxiety and kids with asthma. Um, and we were chatting one day about all these other things because there is a million different treatments or modalities or things you can try and behavioral therapy and there's a, there's, it's, ne- it's, not, it's a never-ending list of things it could be. Um, but she said to me, but if you don't have the right foundation, if you can't breathe properly so you're not getting enough oxygen and you're not eating the right food to provide the building blocks that your body actually needs to perform, to function, to perform the things it needs to perform, all these other things can't, they won't be as effective. And I was like, yeah, that's totally true. So if you think, so nutrition um, and specifically gut health, but nutrition, if we get that foundation right, if we get the gut digesting food really well, getting as much nutrition as possible out of all our food, our bacteria is happy and doing all the things it needs to do, then any other therapy that you, that might be required, so whether that is um, psychology, psychological therapies, if it's um, occupational therapy, whatever else on top of that is like a bonus. So it will be better if you can get this foundation stuff happening. So that was pretty – now, when I explain that to parents now, they're kind of like, I had never thought about it like that. Yep. Yeah, I love that. I will I will definitely remember that. I, there's a few sort of sayings and things that people have shared or little analogies. And I remember always Joe Witten saying that our health journey is like peeling an onion and we just like get the crusty bits off first and then we're, oh, that's a bit smooth, but then you can take another layer off and you can go a little bit further and a little bit deeper. And that's always given me peace when I feel like sometimes I know that some of the things that I should be doing more often and I'm not. And it's okay because this is where I am right now and what I'm kind of capable of, you know, small steps and all that. Uh, but what there was something that I just wanted to ask you, and that is this whole 80 um, 20 rule. So I know you've got teenage kids and you do your best to provide them that good foundation at home. <laughs> I remember you saying what your daughter wanted at her birthday party and you were like, what? But <laughs> this is the thing, right? Uh, we're never going to have that perfect bone brothed 24-7 um, diet. You know, there is there is packets. You know, my kids who are wanting, um, you know, special stuff in their lunchbox to feel like a normal kid and, you know, I'll buy, and because now my homemade popcorn is just not good enough, they'll want the, you know, popped from the in a packet and put in their lunchbox is more exciting. And if it comes in a small packet, even better, but I just refuse because that is a waste of packaging and just offends me on every level. Um, So I'm just such an annoying mum to them, I'm sure. But what is the deal with that? Like, am I, am I messing my kids up by, by having that take on things from your perspective? No, most definitely not. Um, I think the thing that we have to remember here is that um, food is more than just nutrients for our body. Food is also an emotional thing. It's a social thing. It's cultural. There's traditions around it. And that's really important. And it's really important to have those to be a well-balanced 
functioning human being. Um, so I think that there's definitely, um, I'm not a fan of the word balance because it doesn't, I don't think it's meaningful. Uh, I don't think it's a tangible kind of word um, and it's different for everybody. So I think the most important thing is that um, obviously if there are foods that you are allergic to or so in the case of my son, he has celiac disease, so he has to avoid gluten forever, which does, you know, have an impact on him going to parties and things like that and what he can eat. But you would avoid those things. Um, but generally, if you are eating well most of the time and then you go to birthday parties and eat whatever crap that's there or overeat something for a period of time or whatever, that, that's just all part of the bigger picture of life. And if you go to birthday parties, if you take your kids to birthday, and I, I, did, I did do this very early on when we started eating like this, it was very stressful. We actually didn't get invited to birthday parties. We got uninvited to places um, because, you know, people were thinking I was judging them and things mm. like that. I was not um, and I don't. But, um, yeah, I think it's really important to just stay focused on the import, what's important, feeding your kids. Like I said, in my house, we only have healthy options. So when my kids want to eat something, they can eat whatever they want because I know that it's good for them. Um, when they go out, like I said, I've got teenagers. My girls are 17, so they have their own money. Um, I won't buy them Hungry Jacks or McDonald's or whatever, but my oldest daughter, when she goes out, she will buy like three hash browns from Hungry Jacks because they're so cheap and she doesn't like spending her money and she just loves them. But every time she does that, she'll come home and she'll go, oh, I really felt really yuck afterwards. So our job as parents is really to educate our kids on what our body needs, how they feel when they eat something that's good and how they feel if they eat something that's not so great for them and then work it out for themselves. If we continually police our kids and what they're eating, we, that's just starting a whole other range of problems and, and you've got to find that that you know the right the tipping point I guess for for you as a mum what you can put up with what you can just be okay with and what is off limits so for me I will not buy fast food no matter what um that is my line and I won't we don't do soft drink and I won't have that in the house um but if they go out and do it you know that's fine yeah oh that just reminds me <laughs> Um, uh, we needed some more tamari and, uh, and my husband went and got it from the shops, but he just got soy sauce cause he couldn't find it. And so it's in this bottle, <laughs> it's in this like plastic thing. And yesterday my son was, cause he's, you know, always looking in the cupboard for something that might be exciting. Whereas I'm like, here's your banana muffin. Like, and I want something special. Anyway, yeah. he saw this bottle and he, and he grabbed it. And he's like, oh, Coca-Cola. <laughs> he has never had Coke in his life. And he thought this bottle, he's like, oh, man, this is like, I've just hit the jackpot here, this stuff. We've got it. And he's walking around the house with this soy sauce bottle <laughs> thinking that it's Coke. But I, um, I've, I, I love, I just. I love your take on that. Um, we've started in our house to do um, just listen to your tummy and when your tummy says it's had enough. And at the last two birthday parties, um, two of my kids have brought back their plates uh, of birthday cake with just an intense amount of icing and they just said, oh, my tummy's had enough. 
But then they can also do it when we're eating dinner and they're like, my, my tummy's had enough of these, of this potato. Like, don't, don't mess with me, guys. It's your food. Eat it. But only because I've now realised I don't, I, I, I don't want to be the police mum. I don't want to be the person they rebel against. I don't want to be a reason for them to have an eating disorder at the other end of this. But sometimes I do get panicked about the food when I go places and see it and think, oh dear, it's just the sugar and only because it, it does have a huge effect on them. Um, but this is a lesson they have to learn for their life. So I just love hearing a perspective like yours from someone who knows that, you know, it's also, it's okay. It's their journey through life. We, we, don't, we don't live on the top of a mountain. No, and our job as parents is to help our kids be functioning well-balanced adults. And we, so we, all we can do is give them that foundation and then send them on their way and for them to be able to, to make those decisions for themselves. So if we take away all their decisions when they're little, and control everything that they eat, they're never going to learn how to control that for themselves. So we need to allow some of that as they grow up um, and let them make those decisions based on how they feel and and they do they do it. They will do it. My, my kids all do it. Um, and my kid, my girls were 11 and eating every, they were eating all, if you look on those lunchbox Facebook pages that have these immaculate, ridiculously perfect-looking lunchboxes, my girls were not eating those. They were eating the complete opposite to that. And we changed from a highly processed, lots of takeaway, lots of sugar diet to a just a real food, whole food um, diet. And, and they were 11. And so <laughs> that was tough. But now they do it. They eat yeah. most of their food is that. And then they go out and they might have some takeaway or they might have some Fanta or something at a party and I mean we haven't even got to alcohol yet but <laughs> we're getting there as so far as you know no offense <laughs> <laughs> yes well, I'm going to stay in denial for that one a little bit <laughs> um, but um you know and and my youngest when he was when he was four all he wanted was enough because I'd been strictly sugar-free for a year I was I was a Nazi around what they were eating it was very stressful but I felt like we needed this extreme, for me, I needed an extreme change and I needed a line in the sand and then that was it. But we would go to the park every day after school and all his friends would have ice creams. And he was so desperate for an ice cream. He looked at them like they were some kind of magical thing that, you know, would change his life forever. He was four. And I just thought, what am I doing to <laughs> to my child? He needs to know that. He can eat that and go, you know, and know what it feels like. So I bought him his first ice cream. It was full of colours and additives and all this kind of stuff. And he ate it and he was kind of like, oh, is that all it was? And then he just moved on. And he did have a major meltdown about 45 minutes after he ate the ice cream. But but he has taken it upon himself to choose things that he doesn't eat and things that he does eat. So he will avoid anything blue because that he knows that gives him a reaction and he knows how to read labels because he has celiac disease. He has to avoid gluten. So he's really good at that now. But, you know, they all have to, it, like you said, it's their journey. They have to live that. It's our job just to give them the tools they need to be able to do that. Yeah, you're a legend. You're such an amazing mum. And now all these other mums have you as an amazing resource. So you're giving podcast listeners a nice special gift. 
I am. I'm giving you, well, I'm going to give you two gifts. The first one is a free 20-minute phone consultation with me. Um, so that's if you have any questions about what to do, where to start, what it could be, um, how I work to help with those problems, um, then you can book that win with me and I'll put the link in the show notes. Yep. Um, and the second one is the food and symptom journal. So that is um, is full of information and it, then it's got your journal. So that is a way to document what your child is eating, also things like environmental factors. So if they've been swimming or if they, you've changed washing powders and things like that, if they've had any medication, any supplements, keeping track of what they're eating, keeping track of any signs and symptoms that you're noticing and then working out if there's any sort of connections between the two. So if something's triggering their eczema or triggering a tantrum or triggering sleep problems. Um, and then that's a really useful tool to then take to your health practitioner and say, look, I've noticed that these things are happening because I always give my clients a food and symptom journal to do anyway. It's one of the first things that I do because it's a really simple way to find out what might be going on. Um, and from there, you can I tailor all my sort of elimination diets or treatment plans to the individual. So there's no one-size-fits-all thing. Um, they can look through that food and symptom journal. We can work on an elimination diet if that's if that's sort of indicator, if that's appropriate. Work on working on their immune system, working on their gut health, so that we can get back to eating a normal diet. So it's the food and symptom diary and a 20-minute free phone call outrageous i mean that food and symptom journal is i can't believe you're giving that away for free it's amazing so everyone will be able to find that in the show notes and on the blog and joe just thank you for sharing all this information we we probably always try to get through a little too much and i kind of slam through the gates with just the big questions when really because i feel like people like you, who number one, understand where people are coming from and haven't, you know, aren't 25 and don't have kids, number one, and have been on this path for a very long time, uh, who you've been there, you've seen it, you've done it, you've experienced it, you understand the challenges of not just knowing that something has to change, but actually then doing it. It's two different things. And I just think mums uh, and families in general would be so lucky to be in your hands because you bring that compassionate approach, but just a shitload of knowledge. You're so smart. I love talking to you. Every time I talk to you, I learn something new. But this is the thing also about the topic of gut health is it's an evolving space. Like there's new stuff being learnt all the time, like what you're saying about eczema being an autoimmune disease and, you know, this and that. Like it's just all, it's, just, I'm fascinated by it. So I thank you for your time today. You're welcome. Thank you. I love talking about all of this stuff. So opportunity <laughs> <laughs> I get can talk away. Uh, and I think we'll get set to see a lot more of you now that you don't have your head in books and that your, your website is up and running and you're taking appointments and I know you've got lots of exciting things in the works. So I'm super excited for you and um, and that you're going to bring your kind of Joe genius to this whole conversation. So <laughs> thanks for sharing it with us today. Thanks, Lisa. For more inspiration, interviews and know-how, head to smallstepsliving.com. Small Steps Living, inspiring your best life 
one small step at a time.